We saw what happened when Adam snapped. We saw what happened when Thanos snapped. Now they see what happens when I snap. Haunting words scrawled on a college apartment wall by a student with a history of mental health struggles, but no history of violence. All of that would change with the swing of a sword. I'm Marina. With me, I have my best friend, Laura, and this is Grim. got me at sword (laughs) i mean the whole thing but i wasn't expecting that yeah we're gonna go through it a little bit more i I would hope so (laughs) otherwise this would be a very short episode if you're enjoying grim (laughs) today we're talking about peter manfredonia who was all over the news in 2020 but he Mm -hmm. didn't really become a household name you may recognize it when i tell you about it but you probably don't even recognize his name Mm -mm. This case was suggested by one of our gremlins, Jim B, not to be confused with Jim Beam. Uh, So Jim, you can stop feeling insulted that I haven't covered one of your suggestions yet, and you're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for the suggestion, Jim. Yep. And speaking of gremlins, we have a Patreon shout out. I want to give a big grim shout out to Abby. Abby, Abby, we love you. We love you. We love all of our gremlins for free, but if you want to support us while getting a shout out and some bonus content, join our Patreon. Just search Grim Colon, a true crime podcast on patreon.com. Now on to the show. <laughs> I got 99.9% of my information. <laughs> the, the break there, I really thought you were going to say, I got 99 problems. <laughs> you but just research ain't one. Because <laughs> you'd had just enough of a break. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I almost, the train almost fell off the tracks and I caught it right at the end, only for you to interrupt me. <laughs> I got 99% of my information from the police documents um, and then filled in the rest with a million gazillion articles yep. from local and national news sources, like literally tidbits here and there all yep. over the place. And I knew about this case, but I didn't know the nitty gritty details. And the more I learned about it, the more it just sucked for everyone. So I just... So you had to tell us about it. Yep. So let me make you as sad as I am now. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about Peter first. Uh, Peter Manfredonia was born on February 2nd, 1997, which makes me sad. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so used to, uh, like, I'm also in the midst of uh, research, which takes place in the 70s. So people were born. You're like 1903. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, he was born in 1997. Wow. To parents Robert and Jeanette Manfredonia. And he grew up in Newtown, Connecticut, which unfortunately later became infamous Mm. for the Sandy Hook shooting. Uh, But other than that absolute tragedy in this case, Newtown was and Mm -hmm. is a quiet, affluent town with the average household income being about $170,000. Wow. What's creepy is that Peter grew up just a few houses away from Adam Lanza, who was the Sandy Hook shooter. Yeah. Peter lived at 16 Yogananda Street and Adam lived at number 36. Oh, that I now recall that you had texted me that, that there is something creepy on that road because what mm-hmm. are the odds? Yeah. And so I asked myself the question and I heard this in an interview too, like what is in the water? Right. Because that's at least the third person from the small town from that area that has done terrible things. And it seems like really weird for it to be a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, it it is, but (laughs) it is a coincidence, but it is weird. Is it? 
do, 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 do. <laughs> there was very little information on Peter's childhood, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was relatively uneventful. Yep. Peter went to Newtown High School where he was an accomplished track athlete and football player. He was six foot three inches, 200 pounds, and was ranked in the state as a defensive end for Newtown High. Wow. He graduated in 2015 and went on to study mechanical engineering at the University of Connecticut in stores. Wow. While in college, Peter was an intern at Bazudos in Cheshire, Connecticut, which for those who don't know, it's a big name wholesale distributor in Cheshire. And if you want more information on Cheshire, Connecticut, go listen to episode one and be mm. real sad. Mm. Mm-hmm. Peter was involved with the community. As an intern, he helped work on a project called Dream Ride to raise money for the Special Olympics and law enforcement. He also participated in a triathlon and donated the funds he raised to Sandy Hook Promise, an advocacy group started by several of the Sandy Hook victims' parents. Wow. Now, based on the info I've given you so far, Peter's life sounds pretty picturesque. Yeah. But it definitely couldn't have been all sunshine and rainbows. His mother and father were divorced, and around the time we're going to be talking about, his father, Robert, was out on a $50,000 bond after being charged with second-degree sexual assault, two counts of risk of injury to a minor, and two counts of providing alcohol to a minor. Oh, no, no. Those are bad. That is a bad combination of charges. Yeah, it's not Uh -uh. great. It's not great. According to the warrant, Robert provided alcohol to two underage teen girls in Newtown on April 10th, 2020, and they smoked a little weed together. After one of the teenage girls left, Robert groped the other teen. Ew, Robert. Yeah. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) When confronted the next day by the teen's mother, who was Robert's ex-girlfriend, What? Robert didn't deny it. So I just think that's a grim fact to know about one of the people who raised Peter. Absolutely. And also the fact that he didn't deny it, that is always a red flag to me because that means that you don't think it's that bad. Right. Like if you actually realized how bad that is, you would deny it. Mm -hmm. So that just makes me very uncomfortable. Yep. No. He was just like, don't like. What about it? (laughs) Yeah. In March 2020, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, Peter was a senior at UConn and was living in off-campus housing. He had a history of mental health issues, but his family and friends and various therapists had previously helped him to work through his struggles. But it was around this time that Peter began needing more serious mental health treatment, and he couldn't get it because of the pandemic. Oh, geez. Therapists were not taking on new patients at the beginning, and in-person visits were essentially non-existent. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Peter's mental health deteriorated, like many of us at the beginning of the pandemic, but not good. I actually... We, I haven't covered, I don't think any cases that happened in 2020 or later, and I don't think we've covered many of them. I'm curious as the years go on, I I think more and more is unfortunately going to come out for that exact reason. It just never really occurred to me. Right. Things took a turn for the worse when Peter's girlfriend from Willington, Connecticut broke up with him. She ended it on May 18th, 2020, after finding out that Peter had hacked into her social media accounts. Fair. Two days after that, uh, Peter's now ex-girlfriend texted him the language of a statute saying that he committed a crime hacking into her accounts. Good for her. Peter never responded, although I don't know what you would say to that. Mm, Checks out. Sorry. (laughs) It was likely around this time that Peter began scrawling notes on his apartment walls. The actual timing of these messages is unknown, but they couldn't have been any older than four months because that's how long he'd been living there and he was the only name on the lease. Huh. Some of the messages included things like, I'm not angry, I'm upset. Is this bad? Will I get in trouble? Will they look at me strange? Welcome to Peter World at TR, an experience of the mind. 
The most disturbing messages said, we saw what happened when Adam snapped. We saw what happened when Thanos snapped. Now we see what happens when I snap. Was, oh, maybe you can just tell me. The Adam he's referring to is Adam Lanza. I was wondering. Presumably. Yep. Who, as I mentioned, was responsible for the Sandy Hook shooting. Yep. But then Thanos is a, a... an imaginary character, correct? Yes. Okay. So we from, went all over the place. Yes. Okay. From um what's the series? Any any relation to Newtown, Connecticut though? Like Thanos? Yeah. Like the, why? No. Why is just that on the list? Because half the world died when Thanos snapped his fingers. Oh. They all ceased to exist. Oh. What is that what is that called? Clearly I don't know. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm so I Guardians of the Galaxy is in my mind, but that's not what it is. Avengers. Okay. Um end game. Avengers end game. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> nobody come for me, okay? I knew it. If I, anything, come for me because I didn't even know. I just knew he did he was a character. That's yeah, he all. had that big glove with all the gems and then he snapped his finger and half of the population ceased to exist. I did not know that story. He was trying to save the world. Oh. Cause humans are killing the planet. So maybe I should go watch Avengers. So good. Wait, so them. he's not a bad character? Well, he's the bad guy because half of the people disappear and But he was to trying exist. to save the world? He was doing, yes. Yeah. I know. Trolley problem. It's tough. I'm what just kidding. Oh. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Haven't you heard of the trolley dilemma? No. Where there's two tracks and like it's a famous psychological, I'm really into psychological stuff, but it, it's a famous experiment or question. Oh, is this like, like you save the save kids, one but person. you kill everybody in the trolley? That's a variation, but no. Um, <laughs> there's two tracks. One track has one person. The other track has like six people. Which way do you go and why? Oh. Mm-hmm. That's, it's just a, it's a thing. Okay. Everybody stopped listening to the podcast. <laughs> they're, like, do, they're like, do you guys know you're still recording? <laughs> nope. We actually forget usually. Okay. So like Thanos, Peter did snap, sadly. On Friday, May 22nd, 2020, four days after his girlfriend broke up with him, around 9 a.m., Peter drove to Myrtle Road in Willington, Connecticut on a motorcycle. He parked his bike in the cul-de-sac at the end of the road and began walking up the street. He was wearing a motorcycle helmet and a backpack with something sticking out of the top of it, apparently looking for his ex-girlfriend who lived in the area. Uh -uh. At the same time, 62-year-old Ted Demers, who lived on the street, was driving a four-wheeler on the road when he saw Peter. Ted stopped and asked Peter what he was doing, and Peter told Ted that his motorcycle had broken down. He told Ted that he knew one of Ted's neighbors and provided that neighbor's name. So Ted let his guard down and offered Peter a ride on the four-wheeler back to his motorcycle to see if he could help him fix it. That's very nice. Peter accepted the ride and him and Ted rode down the street to the cul-de-sac. Once they got back to Peter's bike, Peter attacked Ted with a samurai sword that he had in his backpack. Apparently, Peter had an obsession with samurai swords and owned at least two. (laughs) Two? (laughs) I, I gotta be honest, when you said it was gonna be, that it was an obsession, I expected a little more than two. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, they're probably expensive, right? Yeah, yeah but... And how is- many samurai swords does a person need? Okay, but if you say someone's obsessed, like, two is a little underwhelming. Yeah, but maybe he has it as, like, his background on his computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's or possible. he just does what I do. And peruses the internet all day, every day, adding samurai swords to his <laughs> cart, and then just never checking out. 
I I think that's actually probably exactly that would make a lot more sense. Like to putting me. coupon codes in yeah. there, and he's like, nope, that five dollar shipping, just put it over the edge. He should use Camel Camel Camel. What is that? Oh my god, this is a PSA to everyone listening. Camel 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 which is also hard to say, but it tracks Amazon prices. Not sure if you can get samurai swords on Amazon, but it tracks Amazon prices and will tell you when a product is at its lowest price in oh, whatever. It's excellent. You can put alerts on things. Highly recommend. I am not sponsored by that, but oh, I would damn. love to be. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. It, it gets really dark again. We just like made oh, a joke and then perfect. <clears throat> so perfect. Peter took the samurai sword and he chopped at Ted's head, oh. torso, and arms and legs with the sword, oh. severing one of his limbs. Yikes. A neighbor, 80-year-old John Franco, heard the commotion and ran out to stop Peter. Oh. Peter began chopping at John, causing severe lacerations to his hands, head, and neck. Yikes. Peter then fled on the motorcycle, throwing the bloody samurai sword in the woods nearby. Ted's wife, Cindy Demers, who was home at the time, heard the commotion and ran outside. She held Ted bleeding in her arms, telling him everything was going to be okay. Oh, oh, that would make... I don't want to cry. An ambulance arrived, but Ted died en route to the hospital. Ted was a husband of 42 years, had two sons, and was a soon-to-be grandfather. He was self-employed artisan furniture maker and was described as being larger than life. His obituary said on a bright Friday morning in May, Ted was doing something he had done a million times before Mm -hmm. and would have done a million times more if not for a simple and cruel twist of fate. He simply offered a hand to a stranger in need. Oh, that just gave me chills because that's exactly, I mean, it's tragic when anyone dies, obviously, but just that it was a normal day and he just happened to make a decision. Like what if he had just not asked what, um, Peter, I lost track mm-hmm. of all of this, um, what Peter was doing. If he had just ridden by, if he hadn't offered to bring him back, if he had just said, Oh, okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Go see the neighbor. It just is so, so unfair. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, Peter had, what did he have? He had nothing against Ted. No, he didn't. Oh, he did not An interesting grim fact. If you live in Connecticut, there's a flagpole at the old state house in Hartford with a statue on top of captain Joseph Wadsworth. That statue was created using a live model that just happened to be Ted Demers. What? So he is forever memorialized in that statue. Okay, that is probably the coolest grim fact I've heard. I had to include it. What are the... What? I know, right? That's crazy. I know. Well, I guess it's like a little less weird because he was like an artisan furniture maker. So his friend, his good friend was like a statue carver. Still, Mm -hmm. next time I'm in Hartford, I am going to look because that's super cool i know wow yeah so it's like it's like almost a memorial to him but that's so who knew and it's not about him he's just a model like he was the model he was the model for captain joseph wadsworth right you said that okay right yes there you go wow thank you for that you're welcome the other man who was attacked john franco was taken by lifestar to hartford hospital and underwent emergency surgery Mm -hmm. thankfully he survived oh good and now peter was officially on the run Mm mm-hmm He must have stuck around Willington all day Friday because in the early morning hours of Saturday, May 23rd, Peter broke into the home of a 74-year-old man in Willington. I don't think his name was ever released to the public, and if it was, I couldn't find it. So for ease of discussion, I'm going to call him Joe. Sure. 
So Joe, this poor guy had actually taken out his guns that he owned in case he needed to protect himself because he knew there had been a murder earlier in the town near his house and he knew the suspect was still at large. Oh my gosh. So he took out his guns and he puts them near where he's sitting on a recliner in his living room and then he falls asleep in the chair. Mm -hmm. Hours later, he's startled awake to Peter holding one of his own guns to his head. Oh my gosh. Peter yelled at Joe and told him not to turn around or he'd blow his fucking brains out. Despite the threat, Joe turned around, which I don't know if that's like, do you think if someone was like, don't turn around, like your first instinct would be to turn around? I think my first instinct would be to pee and my second instinct would be to poop. (laughs) Would your third instinct be to turn around? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Joe turns around and he sees Peter who is barefoot, dirty, and wearing a black t-shirt and sweatpants like he'd been in the woods. Joe immediately suspected that Peter was the murder suspect the police were looking for, Mm -hmm. even though he hadn't seen a picture of him on the news. Because, I mean, what are the odds that, you know, there was a murder and a home invasion in this sleepy little town that were unrelated? Joe said Peter had a blank look on his face, and he zip-tied Joe's hands behind his back and duct-taped his eyes and around his head. Which, imagine ripping that out of your hair. Yeah, I know that's the least of your problems at that point, but that is the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Yep. Peter led Joe to the basement where he then duct taped him to a chair and held him hostage for about 24 hours. Oh, Peter asked Joe, would he like to watch on TV and then put a movie on for him, which is very accommodating. (laughs) Peter had some time to kill, no pun intended, during the kidnapping. So he made idle chit chat with Joe. Peter introduced himself to Joe as Rick. While Joe and Rick were hanging out, a news story comes on and displays a younger picture of Peter. Mm -hmm. And Joe's like, okay, um, so that's you. Is Mm -hmm. your name actually Mm -hmm. Peter? Like, why would you tell me your name's Rick? And Peter's like, just for the hell of it. Now, alternatively, had he told him his name was Peter, Joe probably would have been like, why'd you tell me your real name? And then I would have immediately thought that he was going to kill me if he told me his real name. I guess, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trying to be kind, Joe asked Peter about Friday's events. Peter told Joe that he hadn't slept for five days and that he just flipped out and that he was sorry for what he had done. My question would be how sorry since you're currently holding someone Mm -hmm. hostage. Mm -hmm. Joe suggested that they call the police and try to work something out. But Peter said he had no interest in turning himself in. He told Joe he was going to have two good weeks and then he figured it would end in a shootout, the death penalty or life in prison. Joe fell asleep around 11 p.m. tied to the chair and woke up about three hours later in the early morning hours of Sunday, May 24th. Peter was already up getting things ready for the day. To his credit, Peter left Joe unharmed. And he said if the cops hadn't found Joe by 10 a.m., he would call the state police at noon and tell them that he was there. I'm perplexed by the the roller coaster. Not well, it's not it is blood and feathers because... There's right. a lot of that, but I'm, I'm perplexed by the roller coaster that Peter's going through because there's just weird decisions he's making with Joe that just, it's almost like he doesn't know why he's doing what he's doing. It continues. And I feel like part of it, I don't know what he, what he has, like what mental health issues he has, but it's like, at some points it feels like he can't control his actions. Right. But then he's saying he's really sorry and making like very calculated decisions to like not commit more crime or right. not harm someone. And more. he's so aware. Very. Yes. It's like he knows what he did. It's very confusing. Yeah. yeah. Like, right. Like the day later, he's like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Like, right. I'm, I feel real bad right. about that. It's not like he doesn't have memory of it or he blacked out during it. Right. Like he knows what he did. Yeah. Huh. Yep. 
Peter took Joe's Ford F-150 truck, $1,000 in cash, and at least one of Joe's guns. The information is blacked out in the arrest warrant, but I'm just making an educated guess. It was one of the guns. Yeah, that's fair. Or all of the guns. I True. don't know. I, it was at least a gun. In Joe's F-150, Peter drove across the state to Derby, Connecticut, which is over an hour from Willington, according to MapQuest. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to enter Osborndale State Park when he got the truck stuck on a rock wall that was hidden in the grass. <laughs> Why was he driving through the grass? I don't know. Well, I, it was like a state park, and I think he was like off the trail. Oh. And yeah, I mean, that's Connecticut for you, too. We got rock walls all over the place. That's very true. Peter got close enough to his destination to travel the rest of the way on foot. The police found the truck at 6.45 a.m., so they were hot on his trail. I'll say. Peter made his way to 404 Roosevelt Drive in Derby to the apartment of Nicholas Isley and his girlfriend of a year and a half, Shannon Spees. The couple lived on the second floor apartment, and at least Shannon was sleeping when Peter arrived. Peter and Nick went to school together in Newtown, and Peter had been to Nick's apartment at least one other time a few months prior to buy weed. Earlier that weekend, when Nick and Shannon saw Peter on the news, they locked all of their doors. That didn't stop Peter, and he somehow still got in, because when Shannon woke up, she could hear Nick yelling, relax and calm down. Shannon peeked her head out of the bedroom door and saw Nick and Peter fighting. Shannon asked Nick if everything was okay, and he said, no, it's Peter Manfredonia, call 911. Shannon ran to grab her cell phone, but Nick and Peter came crashing into the bedroom after her. (sighs) Shannon had her phone in her hand, but Peter was able to grab it. Shannon ran out and curled up in a ball in the living room. She could hear Peter and Nick continuing to argue, and then she heard gunshots. (sighs) Shannon began screaming at the top of her lungs with the hope of alerting the neighbors, but Peter came out of the room with the gun in his hand and told her to shut up. Shannon could see Nick lying on the floor, and she begged Peter to call for help, but he said it would be useless since he shot Nick in the head. Oh, that's awful. Peter asked Shannon for her car keys and made her get up from the fetal position to go find them. Shannon gave the keys to Peter and told him to just take her car, and he said, no, you're coming with me. Oh, no, no, no. Shannon put on a brief face, and she asked Peter if she could at least get dressed first before they left, and Peter said that was fine. Shannon went into the bedroom, and Nick was lying on the floor. She thought she saw him move, and she asked again if they could call for help, and Peter turned around to look. Then Shannon got nervous that Peter would come back to the room and shoot Nick if he thought he was still mm. alive. So she said, never mind. I didn't see him move. Interest. Oh, man. What do you do? I mean. I know. I, I don't I don't know what you do. I don't know. Because those I can are, see those her are, concern. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> but if you don't get any help, clearly he can't get his right, own help. Gonna, like, right. you, what are you supposed to do? Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. While Shannon was changing, Peter got some funds. There was $5,000 to $7,000 in cash on the coffee table at Nick and Shannon's apartment. Oh, the weed? I'm guessing is from yeah, weed sales, yeah, because yeah, I don't know many people who just keep that kind of cash on their coffee table. No. I was also, I mean, I don't know if, you'll t- if you're going to talk about this later, we can wait, but I, I'm perplexed why he decided to go to their apartment. That seems, I mean, yeah, he knew them, but like that seems very random yeah, to I me. I don't know. Unless he was like, oh, it's a little further away, they won't find me here or something. I don't know. Either that or... The only thing that I can think of is that he took some cash from Joe's house and then thought, like, where else can I get cash to go on the run? And if he had been to their apartment and he knew him and if he thought he might have cash, if he... That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But it it is still pretty random. Yeah. But... And the fact, though, that Nick and Shannon thought, 
we should lock our doors, he'll come here. Right. Is also a little strange. Other, I just wonder if there's more to that. Were they closer or something? I don't know. It's a little strange. Yeah. With just the information we have, obviously. That, yeah, that I do not know. But yeah, no, it is It is bizarre. Especially, like, the other thing is, too, is like, I don't know if um, Nick might have known Peter more than just, like, Shannon That's said she I mean. just saw him the one time right. that he was over there, but... They went to school together, you said, right? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, not really that important. I'm just, I right. get very into thinking about like putting my mind there, which is why it's so upsetting because it's yeah. not a good place to be. No. Peter grabbed a duffel bag and he shoved about $2,000 worth of cash in it. I'm not sure the volume of $7,000 in cash, but I'm not sure why he wouldn't grab all of it. I think it's smaller than a duffel bag. I think so too. Maybe I, bigger than a bread box, but <laughs> smaller than a duffel bag. I just, he's not a criminal mastermind here. Clearly. Like, yeah. well, throwing the samurai sword out the window also was, I was like, bud. Out the window of his motorcycle? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The window of life. <laughs> the great big window. <laughs> yeah no he's because he's not like he knows he's caught like he it's like it's not even like he's trying to cover his tracks that's true because he did tell joe he's like i'm just gonna be on the run for two weeks and then yep whatever happens happens yeah oh i bet your cash theory is right then because if he was like i'm gonna live up these next couple weeks yeah i need money for that okay all right um it's all coming together It's all coming back, all coming back to Mm -hmm. me now. You guys were hoping you made it through an entire episode. (laughs) Never going to happen. After she got changed, Peter led Shannon outside to her Jetta. Shannon got into the driver's seat and Peter got into the rear passenger seat with the gun he used to shit. Oh. Nope. <laughs> to shoot Nick. Not Sorry. shit. I'm, this the, is not a funny situation. No. It just allowed me to get it But it was a shoot out. Nick and my brain put yeah, it together. I know. The gun he used to shoot Nick mm-hmm. still in his hand Ugh. and they drove away. It's blacked out in the warrant, but it was Nick's poor father, John, who found him. Oh. That Sunday, the day that Peter broke into Nick's apartment, around 10.15 in the morning, Nick's family began calling John and reporting that the Ford F-150 stolen by Peter was found in the vicinity of Nick and Shannon's apartment. Oh. John began frantically calling Nick and Shannon's phones, but they kept going to voicemail. Mm -hmm. He assumed the phones were on based on how long they rang before they went to voicemail. And unable to reach them, he went to the apartment and he noticed that Shannon's Jetta was missing. He went to the second floor where the door to the apartment was closed but unlocked. He went inside and found his son's body on the bedroom floor lying in a pool of blood with a knife nearby. Mm. I'm guessing that Nick may have been holding the knife from the kitchen in Mm self-defense since an autopsy confirmed that Nick had died from a gunshot wound to the head. Mm. John checked Nick's body for a pulse, but said his body was hard as a rock and he knew he was dead. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. Nick was only 23 years old. John called 911 and the police arrived around 11 a.m. I want to give a quick background on Nick like I did on Ted mm-hmm. because it's important for the victim's stories to be told. Yes. We just we don't just want to know and remember the perpetrators. Absolutely. Nick was born on February 21st, 1997 in Stamford, Connecticut to his parents, John and Michelle. He had three siblings, including an identical twin brother, oh, Michael. Gosh. Oh. The family moved to Sandy Hook when he was five years old. Nick loved playing sports, especially baseball with his dad. He had a green thumb and loved gardening, and he was starting a new chapter in his life with Shannon at the time of his death. That's so sad. It's a young death just breaks my heart because there's so much life ahead of them. 
they had just gotten started. And this, like the more I was getting into this, like the whole case makes me so sad because it's senseless. Yes. It's completely senseless. Yeah. Like there's no real rhyme or reason behind. We want someone who deserved to be murdered. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, obviously it's all That's bad. why everybody likes Dexter. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. That one, I, I know that reference. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Um, but that's not shocking that I would know that one. Yeah. But no, I mean, obviously any death, as we always say, any death is tragic, but just exactly as you said, when it's that, it's just bad fate. I know. That causes it. It's just, I think why that is so bothersome besides the tragedy for the person that died is that it could happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it scarier. Like right. not again, not that anyone putting themselves in a dangerous position deserves to be murdered, right. but it's less of a shock. I don't know how to say that nicely right. versus like, if you're just like Ted helping someone out, you happen to be doing something you do every day. Right. There's something about that. That's just like a wrong place, wrong yes. time. Yeah. yeah. And and your fear of running into someone I'm who's just going to ruin your life. I'm telling you. Yeah. Super Live sketchy. life as a hobbit. Hermit? I thought you were going to say live life to the fullest because you just never know when it's your time. But no, you're going with a I said hermit, hermit, but I meant hermit. So just to be clear. Okay. So, so far we've insulted all the Avengers fans, all of the Lord of the Rings fans. We just lost so many gremlins. I am enough of a Lord of the Rings fan though, to know that I would also like to live life like a hobbit because you get a second breakfast. So anyway, we can, we can return to the case now. Speaking of Shannon, going back to the Jetta with the kidnapping situation, Yes, Peter was directing Shannon where to drive, but he didn't seem to have a destination in mind. Shannon actually kept her cool in that she was driving erratically, hoping to get stopped mm, by the police, which brilliant. is so smart. Peter may have suspected that, yeah. and he was like, do not get pulled over because I don't want to have to kill you. Ugh. She contemplated driving to the Newtown Police Department or even into a tree, but Peter was wearing his seatbelt, so she wasn't sure how affected it would be, so she just kept driving. I think that's smart. And she said while she was driving, she was, like, planning her funeral in her head. Oh, God. That's awful. As I mentioned, Peter didn't really have a place in mind, but he said he wanted to look for a heavily wooded area in which to hide. At some point during the rendezvous, Peter made Shannon pull over near an abandoned building, He took the car keys with him and he went to the trunk to change his clothes. He then got back into the car in the front passenger seat with the gun between his legs and began entering destinations into the GPS, including New Jersey, Jersey Shore, Delaware, and Nashville, Tennessee. I can't imagine what Shannon was thinking at that point. Like, I don't want to go to fucking Tootsies with this guy. (laughs) I, I also just like, I think the weirdest things would go through my head. Like, I would think... Like, what if I run out of gas? Is he going to get mad at me for that? Like, what if I, like, I get nervous enough. Like, my, my husband always does the driving and I really am a fine driver, but he always does the driving. Mm-hmm. However, when I occasionally do drive, I feel so, like such pressure. I'm like, I overthink. I'm like, wait, do I stop? I, should I stop? Like, I'll slow down. Maybe I'll let that car go. Oh, should I have let that car? I just like I way overthink same it. same thing. Can you imagine if you had a gun to your head? Like, no. yeah. Well, I think it, the gun was between his legs, but I think the fact that the gun was in the car. Yes. yes. It previously was to her head though, before they stopped, right? No. He was sitting behind her. Oh, well, I, I don't know if he had it up, but the gun was in the car in her head. I bet you it was pressed up against her exactly. head. Exactly. So the pressure is there. Yes. She anyway. was under pressure. Oh, that's two. Perfect. You're welcome. 
Peter began looking around Shannon's car and found her old Wi-Fi only iPhone in her center console. Peter erased all the apps, deleted Shannon's iCloud account, and tried to open an account under the name Rick Sanchez, which is a great fake name. And Rick Sanchez definitely has a mustache in my mind. A hundred percent. Yeah. While Shannon and Peter were driving on the highway, Peter opened up to Shannon about his activities over the past few days. He told her that Ted, the guy on the four-wheeler, wasn't his intended target, but that Ted had said something to him and that he had just snapped. Peter said that innocent people got in his way when he was trying to escape, presumably talking about John. Peter told Shannon that he left on his bike, ditched it in the woods, and that he just got lucky finding Joe's house. After he stole Joe's truck and got it stuck on the rocks, Peter told Shannon that he walked to her house and that he only killed Nick because he said something that triggered him, but Peter didn't elaborate. Shannon must have been absolutely disgusted to be hearing yeah, any of this. Absolutely. Because it was probably like he was like trying to like rationalize it right. and like get it off his chest. Yeah. And I'd be like, no, you let that marinate and yeah. eat away at your soul. Thank and you. Surprising that he didn't even really talk about that he was going after his girlfriend and like going to see her. That's why he was even in that area right. in it the had first to place. Have been. Right. Yeah. Nope. Didn't didn't mention any of that. Mm-hmm. Thankfully for Shannon, she wouldn't have to listen to it all much longer because Peter didn't intend to take Shannon to the Jersey Shore or to Nashville, Tennessee with him. He had Shannon pull into a McDonald's in New Jersey so he could try to get Wi-Fi to download the Uber app on the Rick Sanchez Wi-Fi only phone. The signal was either shoddy or they didn't have Wi-Fi because Peter began approaching people in the parking lot asking if they would order him an Uber. Surprisingly, That's, no one agreed. So Yeah. Can you imagine? Also, the fact that they did make it all the way down to New Jersey, for those who don't live in the area, that depending on where they were, is a couple hours, maybe three hours. Like That's a long drive mm-hmm. to have someone sitting there threatening you, telling you about the, pe- the fact that he, they just attacked people with a sword. Like That's a long drive. How do you, That's a stressful drive without that commentary. Can you imagine... like? I think it would be better if he was talking because I'm just thinking of what it would feel like what in I mean. the car if he was quiet. Like you would be able yeah. to feel the air. Absolutely. And I'm like Ugh. also stuck on that. You have to go through New York, not city, but you have to go through New York to get to New Jersey. Again, mm-hmm. if you're not from the area, you might not know that. Right. Like that's a stressful drive to go through. And now yeah. you add a murderer sitting next to you. Mm-hmm. Just not a situation I would do well in. That's stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Stressful. Yeah. Well, she got there. I'm impressed. She, Shannon, she, honestly, she nailed it. Yeah. She nailed it. Uh, no one agreed to order him an Uber. Yeah. That yeah. isn't surprising. No. There was a truck stop next door to the McDonald's, so Peter had Shannon head there hoping for better luck. In the truck stop parking lot, Peter had Shannon drive up to groups of people to ask if they would order him an Uber. He told her to avoid groups with women or children just in case he had to use the gun. Yikes. And even more surprisingly than people not ordering him an Uber is that um, he actually found a guy who was willing to do it. For ease of discussion, we'll call this man Tom. Uh-huh. Again, his name was blacked out in the warrant and I didn't see it anywhere else. And I tried to write it without names and I was like, this guy said to that guy. And no. I was like, no. No, I appreciate the names. His name's Tom. Tom tried to order an Uber for Peter, but there were none in the area. Tom said alternatively he could get Peter a limo for $200, but it would take a few hours to get there. Oh my gosh. And I was thinking whenever I pass a limo on the highway, I always wonder who's inside. And it never crossed my mind it could be a man on the run who wasn't able to order his own Uber. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're going to think that every time you pass a limo on the highway. When you put it that way, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yep. Oh my gosh. 
Tom doesn't give up and he ends up finding an Uber, but he tells Peter that he'll have to get a ride across the river in Pennsylvania to pick it up. Now the New Jersey, there was like a yep. river and like Pennsylvania was mm-hmm. right on the other side. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, cool. Can you just take me? And Tom's like, nope, sorry, dude. Like I've done enough. Yes, I've done yeah. enough. So Tom walks away and he's talking on his cell phone and Peter starts getting antsy that he's calling the police. Oh my gosh. But Tom's com- Tom comes back and says, good news. The Uber driver agreed to come pick you up here at the truck stop, which I'm so confused because like, this is not my understanding of how Uber works. You don't just get to like call the driver and like have them pick you up at different places. I am, this entire scenario is hard for me to wrap my head around because A, he has been in the car with Shannon. Why wouldn't you just have, why wouldn't you just take the car Right. or have her drive across the river? Why do you have to ask Tom mm-hmm. or like just to t- have her drive you to New Jersey, any of those options. I work. didn't even think about him asking, making Shannon drive him across yes, the river to get the Uber. Exactly. And then second, I'm also just trying to picture like, now I'm not, this is not a judgment at all on how Shannon's handling this because mm-hmm. the fact that she is still alive is more than it would have been for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm also thinking like, what must be going through her mind? Cause you're now in a populated area with maybe not populated, but like, there's definitely at least a few people around. Yeah. You're like, how do, do I not die? Right. Like, do you think like, do I take my chance getting out of the car? But he already mentioned he's going to use the gun. So I can only imagine, like, I'm trying to imagine that scenario. And then I'm wondering like, if you had a guy, like how weird is this truck stop that like you have a guy walking around with a person in a car, then asking to be Ubered somewhere. Doesn't that seem strange? But I guess not strange enough. So I just can't really wrap my head around this entire situation. I think weird stuff happens at truck stops. I think so, too. I think that's the moral of this story. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so so Tom has good news. Yep. So Tom's got the Uber driver to come to the truck stop. Okay. Uber shows up. Peter gives Tom $100 for his trouble and gives $200 to Shannon for gas money. Peter gets in the Uber and it begins to drive away. Meanwhile, Tom's about to leave and Shannon's like, hey, can you just like hang back a second so I could talk to you? Oh my God. And suddenly the Uber driver stops <gasps> and Peter opens the window and leans out and is like asking Shannon if she's leaving. She's like, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm definitely leaving. And she puts her car in reverse to pretend like she's leaving. The Uber does finally drive away. And then Shannon tells Tom that Peter was a murderer, oh. that she'd been kidnapped and she needed help. And Tom calls 911. <laughs> that is is so insane mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that i tom must be like did i fall asleep like <laughs> is this is this in my mind tom's because, like did i just aid and abet a murderer seriously i mean because you must because now probably all the same things i'm asking are going through his head mm-hmm. like wait that's weird okay that's also weird mm-hmm. wow yeah so he calls 911 and he stays yeah. with her okay good. yeah thank you tom It probably wouldn't have been long before the police found Shannon because the Connecticut police coordinated with neighboring states in an effort to Mm. locate Peter and Shannon while they'd been cruising on the highway. A license plate reader picked up Shannon's car traveling across the New York border into New Jersey. So New Jersey police were on high alert. At 1.18 p.m., they received the call from Tom, who stayed with Shannon at the truck stop. When police arrived, Shannon told them that Peter had left her with her Jetta and had taken off in an Uber, possibly headed toward Pennsylvania. After Shannon was rescued, Peter eluded police for several more days. Which is a little insane, because I was just thinking, like, of all things, speaking of him not being a criminal mastermind, of all ways to escape 
a highly trackable, like <laughs> already know the driver and license plate and type of car seems like it wouldn't be the right thing to do. Like, doesn't Tom have all that information Mm-mm. on the Uber that he called? You would think. And yet he apparently, so that's fascinating, you but they think. could track Shannon's car. But that's what I was saying. So maybe he got the Uber because they already had Shannon's car. So in his mind, he's better off switching cars because then he yeah. he has one step on them. Maybe. A small, like the smallest yeah. step. Yeah. Like a baby step. Goodness. Uh, Shannon was right that Peter was headed to Pennsylvania. That day he was spotted walking along train tracks in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Police advise the public that Peter should be considered armed and dangerous. On Monday, May 25th, a BOLO, or Be on the Lookout, was issued to police in Pocono Summit, Pennsylvania, about 15 miles from where Peter was last seen. Additionally, Peter's parents issued a statement to him in the news that was read by the family's attorney. They said, Peter, from your parents who love you, please turn yourself in. Mm. Peter, if you're listening, you're loved. Your parents, your sisters, your entire family loves you. Nobody wants any harm to come to you. It's time to let the healing process begin. Mm. It's time to surrender. You have your parents and your sister and your family's entire support. Mm. I also just processed that the whole, sorry, I'm still really stuck on the, the how this all happened and the truck stop and all this. Mm-hmm. This is also during COVID. Mm-hmm. So even weirder, like yeah, those were the weird in. times. That yeah. was that was like when you were like, "Do you have COVID?" By am right. I getting it by looking at you? Right. Like it was a re- so that maybe that actually played into him being able to do all this because it. I think it was probably a very weird time. Yeah, it was very scary two huh. months in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm just. That's I like true. To I wasn't thinking there. about that yeah. either. Yeah. It was helpful for him with the masks. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Peter didn't turn himself in. Hmm. Monday night, a black Hyundai Santa Fe was stolen in East Stroudsburg, so police suspected Peter had the car. Which, again, why wouldn't you just take Shannon's car? Like, I don't I, know, change I don't, the license plates? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. On Tuesday, May 26th, Lieutenant John Aiello, who was commanding officer of the Connecticut State Police Eastern District Major Crime Squad, say that ten times fast, <laughs> addressed Peter during a press conference. He said, Peter, we've talked to your family, we've talked to your friends and your roommates. All of them have said the same thing, that this behavior is out of the ordinary for you. We know this is not who you are. Lieutenant Aiello urged Peter to turn himself in. He said, we want you to be able to tell your story. We're here to listen to you. Your parents, your friends, all of us back here in Connecticut want a peaceful end to this. I just think this is so bizarre. Like you rarely hear things like Mm -hmm. this but it's one of those like he was a college student had no history of violence and like all of a sudden he's like on this insane crime spree yeah so they're just trying to like appeal to his common sense yeah and that actually they wouldn't know this but that actually tracks with like what he was saying to joe and right the fact that like he was kind he knew what he had done but knew it was wrong right didn't seem to have been in control of it didn't seem to like want i don't very strange so it's all very strange behavior yes Peter, again, did not turn himself in. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. same day, he stopped at a Sheets in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, before taking an Uber to Hagerstown, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Police confirmed the stolen Santa Fe was nearby, and footage showed Peter shopping inside the Sheets. 
The next day, on Wednesday, May 27th, the six-day four-state manhunt came to a peaceful end. Oh, good. Peter was located at a pilot gas station in Hagerstown, Maryland, basically where they tracked the Uber yep. to, yep. where he was taken into custody at gunpoint. Peter told police that his belongings were near the woods, which police confirmed, and they found $4,638 in cash, mm -hmm. an iPhone, a tablet laptop, and the gun that was stolen from Joe. Mm. Two hours after being taken into custody, the Connecticut State Police interviewed Peter in Maryland. Peter spoke to an attorney, signed a waiver of his rights, and then spoke to the police for almost two hours. Wow. Although Peter agreed to talk, he didn't want to answer any questions about what occurred in Derby. Whenever it came up, he asked for the next question. <laughs> he also didn't want to talk about how he acquired the guns or the cash. So kind of like the key points that the cops... Right. I was going to say, what did he think about? they wanted to talk about? <laughs> Well, he was re really willing to tell them about how he got his Uber rides. Oh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I, I too am interested. He detailed how he used his cash to buy a touchscreen laptop and a prepaid iPhone at Walmart. He used the laptop to make up an email address that he then used to set up the iPhone. He signed an agreement with Straight Talk Wireless, bought a prepaid debit card, and used that for payment in the Uber app on the, no on the new phone. And he took at least two Uber rides using this account. And what did he want? A gold fucking star? I don't know. Like, why not just steal more cars? It, I, I, there's so many other things. And why are you telling that? Like, why is that the emphasis of what you're telling the police? And before I knew that he stole, so it was, it was not in all the articles that he, it was suspected he stole this Hyundai Santa mm -hmm. Fe. And before that, I was like, oh, okay. So like, he didn't want to commit more crime. So in his mind, he found this creative way to order the Uber rides without committing more crime and yeah. then it was like no right before that he stole a car and then yeah. he went to sheets and then ordered another uber and i'm like it just it just None makes, of it makes no sense, sense. Yeah. it makes no sense on friday june 12th peter was extradited from maryland to connecticut and was held at garner correctional institution on a seven million dollar bond whoa <laughs> yeah now see that's what i expect when you you know like if you were obsessed with bond you would have <laughs> A $7 million <laughs> bond, you know, not a $2 bond. Okay. That was a great way to bring Call it back. back. I Call like back. it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Before the third year anniversary of his crimes, Peter's attorney worked out a plea deal with the state. On February 8th of this year, Peter pleaded guilty to one count of murder, one count of assault, and one count of home invasion in Rockville court for his actions involving Ted, John, and Joe. Mm-hmm. On February 16th of this year, Peter pleaded guilty to murder and kidnapping in the first degree in Milford for his crimes against Nick and Shannon. Good. And that didn't dawn on me either that obviously everything had been delayed during COVID, in particular the courts, and mm -hmm. that it would take that long for all this to process. I right. wasn't thinking about that either. I mean, things don't really move that quickly anyways, <laughs> but yeah, COVID did slow yeah. it all down too. On April 19th of this year, as was agreed in the plea deal, Peter was sentenced to 55 years for murder, 20 years for assault, and 25 years for home invasion. The sentences are to be served concurrently for a total okay. of 55 years. Yep. Shannon Spees, along with other members of Nick's family, gave emotional mm. speeches at mm. Peter's sentencing. Shannon said, I won't lie. This plea deal does nothing for me except close the door on this court case. The damage can never be undone. None of this brings Nick back or makes me feel whole again. Mm -hmm. I will never be the person I was before then. Mm -hmm. I will never feel safe, even in a room surrounded by only people I know. 
I will always look at the world differently. The version of myself that went to bed with my boyfriend, my best friend, and the sweetest man I've ever met on May 23rd was not alive anymore when my parents picked me up from a state police headquarters in New Jersey on May 24th. Oh my gosh, that actually made me tear up. Oof. I lost absolutely everything I had. I lost my best friend and my partner. There's no telling how amazing our future could have been, and I was robbed of ever knowing that happiness. I was robbed of ever knowing peace again, of feeling safe anywhere, even in my own home. I was robbed of my home. My apartment was a crime scene. Shannon said she hopes her words haunt Peter for the rest of his life. I also hope that, and there, it was eloquent and beautifully said, just heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. That was a wow. snippet. I think there oh was, my gosh. there was more because I, she mentioned yeah. that she was picturing planning her own funeral <sighs> as well. Uh, now we read these things all the time. You know, we read the victim, mm-hmm. the victim. I mean, I like, it gives me the chilly willies. Like, yeah. and whenever we do them, like we always, they're very emotional mm-hmm. and maybe it's because it's a Connecticut case, but you know, when people voice thoughts like that, like I'm paranoid in my own home, mm-hmm. locking all my windows and doors and like nothing has ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. I believe her when she says the person yes. she was died that day. Absolutely. Like you would never, ever be the same ever again no absolutely and that's so crazy exactly so crazy nicholas's sister jessica also spoke jessica isley was a survivor of the sandy hook school shooting i was wondering because i was doing the math with how old nick was i was like no he's too old for it but are you kidding me And she said, as a survivor of the Sandy Hook school shooting, I was forced to relive the trauma and pain of December 14th as Peter used the same source of violence to end my brother's life. Mm. Peter Manfredonia is a monster who must be punished for what he's done. My brother is gone and will forever be. There's no way for me and my family to recover from that. And I swear it's stuff like this that just makes me feel like Newtown is cursed. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine surviving that and then your brother shot in the head by a man on a crime spree? Yeah. Like, come on. It's just insane. It's just insane. Yeah. Peter also spoke at his sentencing. Speaking to Nick's family, he said, There are no words that can possibly atone for what I have done. My actions were nothing short of reprehensible. Nick was a good young man to whom I felt no ill will or malice. My actions were senseless. Please know you have my deepest apology. Know that I do not expect your forgiveness, but I apologize nonetheless. What I did was inexcusably horrendous, and I will regret it every day for the rest of my life, not because of the consequences that it has had on me, but because of the consequences it has had on your family. You know, I don't know what I want a murderer to say. I don't think there's anything that he or she could say that would make me feel better, but that's as as I think it's comprehensive as, good as it, as it yeah. could be. Yeah. But the, I mean, obviously, it's not, they don't want to hear it, I'm sure, right, but right. I... Yeah. But he hit the high points. Like, <laughs> you're not going to forgive me. I accept that. And I'm sorry, like, that I ruined your family. I'm not yeah. just sorry that I'm in prison for exactly. the rest of my life. Like, yeah. those are the high points. Yep. Speaking to Shannon, he said, you were incredibly strong and brave during what must have been the scariest instance of your life. I never intended to hurt you, even though I know I did. I sincerely wish you the best, despite what I have done. Mm. S- again, sadly... But unsurprisingly, Peter's attorney confirmed that after this incident, Peter was diagnosed with a mental health condition that contributed to what happened. Peter is currently medicated, which is apparent from the drastic change in his appearance since his arrest. 
Peter's attorney said he and Peter explored various defenses, but it was Peter that wanted to work out a plea in exchange for a jail sentence. His attorney said that the plea deal was Peter's choice on how to resolve the case, which that says to me that Peter could have tried to lean on an insanity defense. And I take that to say that he was like, absolutely not. Like I'm taking responsibility for my actions. You know, this makes me think this is one of those cases that's like tragic on both sides where obviously it's tragic for Nick dying. It's tragic for what happened to Shannon. It's all Ted, everybody. But then you think like, imagine, and I'm not saying if he clearly had something Mm -hmm. going on, but imagine if that was the case and then he gets on medicine that like, makes him completely clear-minded. Right. I don't know how to phrase that correctly, but like, can you imagine then looking back and being like, I fucking murdered people. Right. I did all like, I, I, that doesn't, that does actually make me feel bad. I'm not saying it's not his fault. I'm not saying whatever, but wow, that would be like, if you had someone who is just like, um, the next case I'm researching is you're not going to feel similarly. It's just, Mm -hmm. he's a terrible person. Right. But it's just, this isn't like the dungeon master uh, yeah. who like made a definitive choice to like hold people in his basement forever. Yeah. This is like argue he definitely also had a screw loose, but yeah, it it's just the fact that he that that Peter would be thinking maybe like you and I right now about how atrocious right. that is is just right. I mean, you almost I'm torn because you almost want that to be the case to like get retribution, but then obviously I, I don't wish that on anybody, so I don't know. That's, and the fact his attorney said that he thinks that the whole thing. could potentially could have been avoided had he been able to get the mental health treatment that he had gotten. He had gotten mental health treatment in the past too. It's not like someone about that. Yeah. It's not like someone who, you know, just doesn't want to do it. Right. I forgot completely that you started this with because of the pandemic. Yep. Wow. Um, so I just was thinking about like whether or not he could have, um, tried the insanity defense. So I was looking it up and in Connecticut, it's an affirmative defense that at the time of the crime, if you lack substantial capacity as a result of mental disease or defect to appreciate the wrongfulness of your conduct or to control the conduct within the requirements of the law. Mm. And then I was trying to think about, so I actually, I don't think that he would win at trial, but I think it could have gotten him a better deal. And I was thinking about, okay, well, like, he probably could have gotten it for Ted and for the assault on John. But then I'm like, could he? Because he went to that street with a samurai sword premeditated mm-hmm. in like looking for his ex-girlfriend as far as we know. Mm-hmm. So there's like this level of premeditation, but there's without, I mean, and without knowing what he's diagnosed with, mm-hmm. it's like unclear whether you could even consider him lucid at that point. Like he may it, not have even have been. Maybe not, but I also think his, and I don't know how you would or wouldn't argue this in court, but to me, it seems like his comments to Joe about how he knew what had happened. Right. It was very, like, that seemed very, I mean, insane in the sense that you shouldn't murder anyone, but right. it seemed very sane to right. me. He right. knew it was not him having, that's why I was saying earlier, he didn't black out. He didn't have a spell where he's like, oh my God, what happened to these people? Like he knew what he did. But then he went on to murder another person. Right. So right. Uh, yeah, like I said, without knowing, yeah. without knowing like his mental health circumstances, but I, yeah. I'm just like, maybe it could have mitigated it enough to get like a better deal, but he was yeah. like, I will take this one. This is the one wow. that I want. So, wow. um, and he is currently serving his sentence at Garner, which is likely because of his mental health issues. Okay. Um, and that is the case of Peter Manfredonia wow. and the murder of Ted Demers and Nicholas Isley. Awful. 
as you said, senseless and, um, and just tragic all around. And I wish just peace for the loved ones of, of all those people. Um, man, yeah, man, that's tough. And it, and I think for me, like, because it's Connecticut mm-hmm. and it's like a Yukon senior, like we've, mm-hmm. I think we talked about it when we were talking about, um, Kristen, Kristen smart. smart. Yeah. Um, I was like, is that the one that was kidnapped? But Kristen smart where it's like, you were that person, like you were like putting yourself yes. in their position. Like you yeah. were that person. So it's like, it's just wild because normally those are not the circumstances of our cases. Exactly. So exactly. for it to be that local and yep. Yeah. So wow. thanks. Thanks, Jim. Great. Su- yeah. Great suggestion. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Laura's mad now. Mad at you. Mad at you. <laughs> well, if you're enjoying listening to Grimm, please rate and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss any episodes. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make our day by leaving us a written review. You can find our page on Facebook by searching Grimm, cool, and a true crime podcast. If you want to subscribe to our Patreon, do it. You can go to <laughs> Patreon and search Grimm, cool, and a true crime podcast. That's my cat. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast for information on future episodes and case photos. If you want to send us a case suggestion or just say hi, you can email us at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Listen, learn, and stay alive until next time because the future, including my cat's future, is grim. (laughs) 